What's happening, humans? Welcome to the First Step Theology Podcast, where we discuss our glorious God so that we all might love and enjoy Him in a greater way. We are so glad that you're joining with us. Yes, we are. My name is Joel, and I am here, as always, with the man who is qualified beyond reason. He's got a Cert two in Electro-Technology Servicing, and he has his pen license. It's Luke Rasmussen. How are you, mate? <laughs> you forgot my Cert four in Project Management. Oh, sorry. Yeah, well, <laughs> you don't have that poster up on the wall, so. That's true. I did stick it over your... What have you got? A bachelor in humming or something? <laughs> Bachelor in humming. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How are you? Good, bro. Mm. How are you? How's Very good. I don't think I've seen you in a while. Do you want to just catch up? Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, turn this off. Let's just <laughs> catch up. <laughs> and we're back. Speaking yeah. of catching up, yes. I have been meaning to bring up with you. Um, we haven't talked about hash browns in a while. Yeah, that is. Yeah, actually, that's true. Yeah, because I almost broke the internet a while ago when I um, <laughs> gave the revolutionary way of making hash browns at home. Can you just say for our people, right? Mm. You you changed the the hash brown game. Changed the game. People mocked you, didn't uh, they? They mocked me and until then they, they tried, tried it. it. And their lives were changed. Yeah, I got messages from people and I had to do some video tutorials for people who were stuffing it up. <laughs> anyway, the revolutionary way of making hash browns is in a sandwich press, right? The toaster, yeah. toasty maker. Toasty maker. I've got a friend who I had discussed this with, uh, not on a podcast. Yes. <laughs> yep, as I do have other friends. Wow. Um, I don't know if I should be cut. And uh, we caught up maybe a month after and he's like, dude, Hash browns in the in the toasties the way to go, hey. And I was like, yeah, like it's phenomenal, isn't it? He's like, yeah, I've been like every morning. <laughs> and then he goes, gosh. he goes, it's a bit oily though, hey. Like it makes a bit of a mess. And I was like, uh, sure. Like, what sort of toasty maker do you have? And he's like, oh, I've been putting them in the toaster. <laughs> And so, Good. so he's been putting like hash browns in his toaster and then just the oil just runs out Every of the bottom. It's like oh all over God. his kitchen bench like an absolute fool. Wow. So yeah, so to, to all those uh, naysayers out there, yeah. the, the sandwich press is the way to go. It's the way to go. And to those who are struggling, don't put them in the toaster. <laughs> You're doing Do it you wrong. Reach out. Reach out, yeah. Help. Find help. Find help. Yeah, Lifeline is, uh, do we have the number? No. Yeah. It's, uh, what's your mobile number again? <laughs> yeah, good one. <laughs> now, we should chat about very quickly our giveaway. Stacks on stacks and stacks, baby. Stacks on stacks on stacks giveaway. Let's list the stack, Luke. Yeah. What are, what are we what are we giving away so far already? Okay, so, so far, we are doing Delighting in the Tri- Trinity mm. by Michael Reeves. Mm. Great book. That was your own, Rico. Delightful, in fact. Delicious. Uh, then uh, we uh, are doing, a few weeks ago we had our good mate Adam Ramsey on discussing his excellent book, mm. uh, which is called Truth on Fire. I nearly forgot that for a second. <laughs> you know, yeah, you slowed down. Have you ever been in that position where you know someone really well? Yeah. Like you've talked to them so many times and mm. then you go to talk to them again and you forget their name or you got to introduce them to someone and you forget their name? Yeah, terrible. I was praying for someone last night and I was like, I've seen this guy like every week for four years and I'm just blanking on his name. Oh, I do, yeah, I do this all the time. It's but so bad. Came around. Anyway. Okay, good. Yeah. Have you got tactics, by the way, of how you get them to say their name? Well, no. Do you? If I'm introducing them to someone, yeah. I'll go, oh, have you met? And then I'll just kind of like get distracted with something. <laughs> <laughs> and so then like, oh, sorry. I'm, you know. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. 
Yeah. Anyway, that's smart. Good, uh, good fun facts. Life, life facts. tips for people. Yeah. Okay. So Adam Ramsey, Truth on Fire. That that genuinely is a good book. Like we're not. <laughs> These are all, all good books. Yeah, you can't yeah, say. Yeah. You're going to say it after everyone. Come yes, on, let's okay. get through this. Okay, people are waiting. God's good design. God's good design is book number three, and uh, that is by um, Claire Smith. So today's book on the stack. It is. Jesus, no, the gospel is a children's story by our favourite <laughs> no, 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 author, Joel Lomond. No, 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 no. Joel, why isn't that on the stack? <laughs> you just can't get it. <laughs> I know, very disappointed to and find. it's not in the class that we're talking about, and, and we want people to want this giveaway. <laughs> <laughs> right in. On Instagram, we want to know, would yeah. you like a copy of Joel's book? Yeah, because then it's just going to be like, here's four books and a paperweight. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway. I'm disappointed it's not on the stack. Um, I would give you mine, but mine's signed. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> Number, four, Number four, the actual book is, this is the longest list I've ever heard, Luke. Gospel Fluency by our mate Jeff Van Der Stelt. Your constant recommendation. Yeah, I have shares in this book. Add it to the list, people. It's on the stack. It's on the stack. So what you can do, go to our Instagram account Yep. Uh, shortly. And you will f- make sure you're giving it a follow because soon you will see this giveaway, the stacks on stacks on stack giveaway come up. Yep. And uh, and follow the prompts. Yep. And make sure you enter, send us a question and... and uh, Share our page. All that jazz. You'll be in the running. Yeah. Too easy, hey? There's multiple ways to get your name in that hat. Mm, for sure. Very good. Hey, I'm so excited about this episode. Good, because today we are doing another Have You Met Our Friend? Yes. Where we take a bit of a casual walk through the Christian historical faith and we introduce you in a friendly manner to one of our historical forefathers or foremothers. Yep. And uh, really the purpose of this is that we want to remind you that as Christians we do not live in a the wind tunnel of the 21st century. Nice. Uh, where it's only us and, and we're just going through life on our own. But instead, we are standing upon the shoulders of all those who have gone before us. And so mm. it's helpful for us to remember that um, we have great leaders of the faith who we can lean back on, at whose feet we can sit at and learn from. And uh, yeah, this is sort of a gateway drug for you mm. into a little bit of Christian history. Yeah, very And so good. today... Luke is actually going to introduce me, yes, as well as you, to one of his great friends. Yeah, who is my mate Bon. Your mate Bon. My mate Bon. And I legitimately, I say that because I legitimately know nothing about your mate Bon. So yeah. lay it on me, Luke. All right, let's jump in. Well, have you met my friend Bon, or, or shall I say, Diedrich Bonhoeffer? He was a pastor, theologian, spy, and ultimately a martyr. This incredible man received his first doctorate at age 21 and then went on to receive another a few years later. But what's most impressive about him and his life was his strength and resistance against the Nazi German regime during the 1930s and 40s. He spoke out against Hitler when he rose to power in 1933 and exposed him for his false ideas and his fake Christianity from the beginning. Bonhoeffer had a deep conviction that to follow Christ was to understand the costly grace that Jesus bought for us. This would mean that we m- must not continue in our secular ways, but reform completely and die to ourselves. It is because of this belief that Bonhoeffer ultimately joined the resistance against this regime and was martyred in 1945. 
two weeks before the liberation of the camp in which he was killed. Wow. This is my mate Bonhoeffer. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, he is an, he's an interesting guy. Like, I mean, really, he... He didn't live long. I think he died when he was like 38. He was, well, was born, you figure this out, 1906 and he died in 1945. Margaret! <laughs> you bring the calculator in. <laughs> yeah, my, where is my assistant? She went out to lunch a few weeks yeah. ago and she She's changing her back. name as well every time. I fire them. Oh, right. Yeah, okay, I sound like replacing. a really friendly guy, but deep down yeah. I'm a monster. So I like what the little I know now about uh, Bon. Yep. Just considering the time he was oh, yeah. pastoring, and not to mention the country he was pastoring in, yeah, and uh, everything that's going on in the world around him, because surely that's got to shape your approach to life, your approach to ministry, yeah. and uh, how the gospel is really a beacon of light in amongst that, right? Yeah. Well, what I find interesting about Bonhoeffer is, you know, we talk about God's providence and how mm. God sets you up for the time. Like this guy was a a, a a a mighty man for that time. Now there's plenty of mighty people during that time, men and women mm. are part of the resistance. But theologically, he was really unique. Like any any other time, his writing, he would have you know like an, a plethora of books. Sure, like, yeah. you know, time obviously, and he was a a theologian in you know in a real dark time. But he was his he was shaped differently mm. shaped differently by his upbringing so like german lutheranism at that time was really starting to get dry but his family had uh links to it and, and had read a lot about zinzendorf do you remember zinzendorf the moravian who uh their great revival poured out upon them and he did a lot of running count zinzendorf sure um, and uh, that's a fun word. Zinzendorf. I like it. But he, what he was really passionate about, and the, the key thing was that he was really passionate about not just pietism, which mm. is to, you know, like live right and, you know, follow the statutes of the law, but he was all, yep. about, all about knowing God for yourself. Right. And so their family was like really passionate about, you know, living right and, you know, they had a lot of rules and all this stuff, but about knowing God for themselves, which is quite mm. rare in Lutheranism at that time. Sure. Because you didn't share your faith. You didn't talk about your faith. And in fact, I've got a mate who's in Germany now, and he says the same kind of thing has snuck into Germany. You don't talk about your faith. Right. It's a very, I don't know, German Lutheran thing. And I'm not sure of, of why that is. But, mm. but So for him and his family, what it did is, is it led him to then have a real passion to know Christ, and that like deeply affected his theology. Wow. That's yeah. that's quite phenomenal, isn't it? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, cat, that's revival in and of itself, right? Yeah, and starting in one family. Yeah, it's quite cool. Yeah, right. So, so a man, man for his time. Yeah, actually, interesting for his time, definitely. Doctor by the age of twenty-one as well. Double doctor. Double doctor. Similar, yeah. like what you got, cert two and so forth. You said that's pretty. <laughs> I love how you like. Did you did you know we were talking about that in the? No, I had no idea. That's so good. <laughs> Funny, and a pen license, so you're right up there. Actually, can I say, I never got my pen license (laughs) because I skipped states because I knew they were testing on it, so I skipped states. Uh, No, can you take that pen off him? (laughs) Because he does not. If you've seen my writing, it makes a lot of sense. Have the credentials for that. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny, yes. I know, right? Impressive guy, Mm. but really, like, we could talk about his big theological pushes, but I think the real important thing was how his theology affected the way he lived his life mm. and then how 
it was then uh, used by God to defend a church and then ultimately defend a people from a regime that was just horrendous. Yeah, sure. So um, he, uh, in 1933, I think it's January 1933, okay. Hitler comes into power. Yep. And um, Bonhoeffer was getting a bit of like a claim at that time. He publicly stands up against Hitler on their yep. their radio. And and you got to think at the time in Germany, like he was popular as like Hitler was getting quite popular because, mm. you know, they felt oppressed by, you know. Yeah, really uniting the people of Germany. Exactly and, yep. right. All that kind of stuff. But, um, and as well as Hitler came out saying he was a Lutheran, he was a Christian guy. So the church was, you know, was yeah, re- jumping on that. Jumping on board him. And but, um, Bonhoeffer, like he, he released all these sermons about it, and he spoke really strongly and firmly against this. And so, what that ended up happening was that the the German church split into you had the the state church, which started teaching and and you know hailing Hitler, yep. and then the he's him and a group of other people like Nine Mole and others kind of stuff started the Confessing Church of Germany. Okay, so even at this like this would be pre the war. Yep. Right, we have this uh, young pastor mm-hmm. who is speaking up against the nation's leadership, yep. causing a fissure in the church, the nationalistic state church. Because yep. we're in a time where state and church was probably a little bit more entwined than it uh, yeah. is today, certainly. Yep. And so, even like if the story ends there, we've got someone with guts. Right, standing up for the gospel and the kingship of Jesus, speaking against, I suppose, a a tyrant in the making. Yeah, (laughs) put it that way. Yeah, yep. And uh, against his fake Christianity. Yeah. So, so already, you know, guts is probably a a soft word. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly right. Yeah, Yeah. tough as. And you think about it. Every time he'd go to preach. Uh, in, in the church, at, at first, the rate, like the government w- weren't opposed to them existing, mm. but they would hide Gestapo members in the church and would record what they said and would just try to find any reason sure. to throw um, people in prison and yeah. you know to scare people and all that kind of stuff. And so, mm. like, imagine preaching under those conditions. Yeah, like, that's uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. nothing compared to what we do. No, exactly right. Although, well, we'll see, hey? We'll see. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Right now. Yeah. So then ultimately, as a part of that then, um, they then he started a, a seminary. Okay. Uh, in a place called Finkenwald, which I think is in Poland now, I think, where they trained pastors for this confessing church. Okay. Um, and they would they would train and uh, he, he would teach and they'd get different uh, theologians to go through there. And it was this whole idea of teaching people to plant churches that wouldn't buy into the Nazi ideas and that would actually hold firm to the Bible. And, you know, you throw in the background of this, like there was all this stuff of like Karl Barth was really popular mm. and, and um, other people around that, like German theology was gone a bit skew-if from sure. like orthodox ideas. And so they were like... They were fighting on like so many yeah. fronts. It was insane. Yeah, so they're fighting just to break it down for people because yeah. you just threw out some names there, yeah, right? So, so they're fighting on a theological level yeah. and or for fighting for the Christian faith, in other words. Yeah. This is what the Bible says about who God is and how we are redeemed in Christ, yeah. to make it really simple. And then on top of all that, as we've talked about, he's fighting for the political sort of like powers at large that are happening within his own country yeah and then also in terms of like church structure and and uh the makeup of the church that is 
in cahoots yeah. with that leadership and, and with the state. So you've got all these elements going on, it seems, Yeah. Um, on the precipice of war as well yeah. with, with the rest of the world, Yeah. yeah. quite literally. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, and you know Germany's getting stronger and more power, so they yeah. have more control over their people, so and and there's more wealth in the country as well. Yep, yep, exactly right. Right. Yep, people are disappearing. You know, <laughs> like just yeah, crazy time to live in. I just just a quick pause. Yeah, I realize why Luca is so pumped about this topic because he loves World War Two history, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? This guy's my gateway into it. I wasn't really? as interested in it. Mm. Well, I was like semi, but semi, then yeah. since reading Bonhoeffer and stuff like that, it mm. just just got me so interested. I just had no idea how dark yeah, that sure. time was. And it, yeah, definitely. Well, I might go have lunch. Did you just want to talk to I yourself? Could just like I'm <laughs> talking, baby. <laughs> anyway, go on. So um, I think it's important to while we're talking about his seminary. Through that, he ended mm. up writing a really great book called Life Together which was all about Christian community. Yeah, right. And so when Bonhoeffer was studying, he had a big focus on Christology, as in like who Christ was and all the implications of that. Yep. And because of that, he he realized the value of knowing Christ and all that was involved in that mm. and how that had an impact on the church community. Yeah, cool. So he wrote this book called um, Life Together, Um and it was all about uh, how the church living the way they do mm. is um, representing Christ to the world that surrounds them. Wow, really cool. Yeah, and um, just like I'm just, I've got the context of who he's writing to in mind as he says that. Yeah, like that's phenomenal. That's not just like Western South Australia, right? That has yeah. Christian roots somewhere. Yeah. Um, certainly that's a difficulty today in our culture that is becoming more and more secular. But yep. in in his culture, like that is a, a vibrant truth. Yeah. That. Yeah, exactly right. And talk about resistance. Yeah. You know, like especially in our day and age, there's so much talk about like when should we resist all these things and stuff like that. Mm. The greatest resistance that the church can do is to continue its spiritual practices. Yeah. And I think this is what, like this was his first portal call of going, and this is what our, the church should always be their first port of a call, mm. is we resist uh, evil in the world by continually being the presence of Christ to the world. Yeah, that's good. And I think like practicing your, your spiritual disciplines and doing all these things, that is so key to that. And it's only when those things are squashed that you have to turn to ulterior things mm. and, and, and then you know do, do other things. So then um, he... Also wrote some other really great books on, on Christian ethics, which, again, knowing what he's involved with, Christian ethics was so important. For sure. And then uh, an, a really great book, which I think is probably like the big, his big idea of everything was the cost of discipleship. Mm. Um, and in the cost of discipleship, he talks about cheap grace. I just want to read something to you from it. It says this, Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism, without church discipline. Communion without confession, oh sorry, communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Mm. And so um, really what he is combating is the idea of going, you can do whatever the heck you want, <laughs> Jesus loves you anyway. Yeah. Following the line of what Paul you know, would speak about, like, if grace abounds, why not sin more and more? 
aggressive yeah. um, and Paul's like, heck no. no. No, sir. No, sir. And so what he, he was really passionate about is as Christians, we are the presence of Christ to the, the, the world that surrounds us. And so therefore we must represent him and we must represent him right. Mm. Yeah. It's so important. For sure. Yeah, and, and he, he seems to, um, the foundation of that idea for him is the sacrifice of Christ upon the cross, right? Mm-hmm. The cost of grace that yeah. Christ has paid. Yeah. And therefore now in response to that, we are to live repentant lives. So we have forgiveness yeah. as we repent and yeah. we come to the one who forgives us. Yeah, it's a free grace that's given to us. It's, it's, mm. not, it's not paying the cost that gives us that grace. No, no, no. Christ has paid that. Christ has paid it. Yeah. yeah absolutely. And I, I think coming back, maybe just contrasting our own time to, to this message as well, how much we need that message today. Mm. Like one of the pervasive ideas in the church today is that, you know, God is love, so carry on sinning yep. and uh, come to church once a month. Yep. Right? How much... Do we, in just the same way, need to come to grips with a grace that has been bought for us? Yeah, the price that it costs Christ. And I think that this is, again, why we need to have a gospel-centered idea of life because Mm. having a gospel-centered idea of life forces us to come face-to-face with God Mm. and the community of God and then how much it would have cost that community for Christ to come into humanity Yeah. To then, you know, to live as he lives and then to die as he dies. You know, like I think, you know, we're in, we're finishing off John at, at the moment as as a church. And th- the more I read John and the more I read about Christ going and, and painfully dying on the cross for us, I mm. think we can, we can sometimes focus on the brutality of what happened to him. You know, like the, and that that's all good, but that would have happened to most people who were crucified. Mm. But it's it's actually the spiritual aspect that is the brutal thing. Jesus died totally. quick on that cross. Yeah. And John goes to great lengths to emphasize that. Mm. He dies real quick on that cross because of the weight of sin and the, the rejection that he, he felt for the sin and the wrath that was poured out upon yeah, him. Yeah, the curse that he bore. Yeah, like that. We can't take that. Like, you can't just go, oh, cool, I'm just going to go live how I want over here. <laughs> Do you know, like, it's just a misunderstanding of Totally. Imagine Christ. if we were standing in front of the cross as Christ is suffering and going, thanks, bro. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. And then, you know, nipping off to do whatever we want. Yeah. Rather than humbly coming with repentant hearts to him. Yeah. Yeah, and mm. then living a life in response to that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's why I think Bonhoeffer is so important to the world today. Mm-hmm. Is like he he very much, um, you know, outlines to us and shows us the beauty uh, of this following Christ and Christ mattering, mattering, mattering. Yeah, sure. Mattering. I don't know. Having so much value in our life <laughs> <laughs> that uh, to know him and to be close to him is is you know paramount to everything else. Yeah, I can't help but think of um, Paul's song in Philippians two. When he talks about the humility of Christ. And yeah. let me read it because he actually urges, Paul urges us in, in 2.5, he says, adopt the same attitude of that as Christ Jesus. Yeah. So, so this is the exhortation to followers of Jesus, to yep. adopt the same attitude that he has. Yep, life now, together. Yeah, and which he's now going to explain in verse 6. He says, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. So... 
right there we have God's pre-incarnate glory. So Christ's pre-incarnate glory yep. with God. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Mm. Right? So there we have the humiliation of Christ. Mm. So glory to humiliation, humbling himself to be humiliated on our behalf. And knowing how great that humi- that glory is, how yeah. humiliating. Sorry, I can't. I always do massive hand gestures as we're doing the podcast. <laughs> but knowing how great that glory is, how horrible is that for, for him? Like as in that yeah. humiliation is massive. Yeah, that stepping down. That stepping down. Yeah. Verse 9, for this reason God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So that in the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so again, he is exalted. Mm. We Glory to descending uh, to humiliation through humility and then to being exalted, returning to glory. Mm. And so that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Like That's the, that's the costly grace that that we're talking about that that bon is talking about Mm. is the cost of the dissension of the condescension of christ yeah and then suffering in our place yeah but then the cost now for us as followers is to worship and obey and and submit to the lordship of the one who has returned to glory who has been exalted as the king of kings and the lord of lords yeah no matter what he's called us to Mm. And so that really comes to the forefront in this story because what happens is um, Finkenwald gets shut down by the Gestapo. Nice. Yep. And so they, he's, he's you know, has nowhere to go. So, so some, some rich academics organize for him to go to America. Okay. And he goes over there and he studies and he's been there before. Yep. And they were kind of wanting to set him up as a, a lecturer in uh, New York. Mm. But he is so compelled by his, this discipleship that he's called to do um, that he he knows that he's called back to Germany, mm. and ultimately, knowing that probably to die, yeah. And so he goes back to Germany, and um, he goes and and he actually then takes part um, in the resistance, and so he's part of um, uh, Jewish people being taken out of Germany. Uh, he's he's then organizing. Um, and works as like the pastoral, like ethical kind of director mm. for the group of um, men who uh, organized trying to kill Hitler. Oh, right. Yeah. The so, Valkyrie. Yeah, your Valkyrie and all the July plot, you know, where, sure, yeah, yeah. all of that stuff. And so, uh, yeah, in the end he's, he's arrested and he's taken to prison. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, while in prison, he writes these beautiful letters and, and poems and all that kind of stuff. And then ultimately taken out and under command of Hitler. Like Hitler, as he's just about to die, mm. he's like, Bonhoeffer needs to die. Right. And so they rush him to a place where he can be killed because like the Allies are storming Germ- Germany, like place being bombed. Yeah. And uh, he's hung. Right. And uh, he dies on April 9th, 1945. Wow. Um, and... Uh, yeah, he, he lives out what he believes. He believes that ultimately, as Paul says, to live as Christ, to die is gain. Wow. And he lives, you know, focuses on that community of the church and then ultimately he goes and dies. And I love uh, his, uh, his, his 
last words he says this is the end for me the beginning of life and uh he he fully believed that his you know he's such a strong his his views of knowing christ in the resurrection of christ would mean that ultimately he would mm, be i like that life and resurrection. this is the end for me the beginning of life mm. what a way to go out <laughs> yeah wow yeah i think there's even the the doctor from uh, Flossenberg, where he was killed, mm. is quoted in saying, "Like I've never seen a man more patient and humble on his way to death." <laughs> wow. Like you, you know, imagine how many people he'd seen and, and yeah, died. Totally, that's phenomenal. What a what a guy! What a guy! Yeah, there is so much to this man, so much to his story. Mm. I would recommend getting your hands on those books and reading his books, or if not, if you wanted a real good snapshot of his life, mm. Eric Metaxas has a really good, really accessible book called Bonhoeffer. Yeah, um, and um, I'm not sure whether you can get it from our friends at Reformers. Yeah, but regardless, you've got to get your hands on that book. It's a great book, really well written, and um, just challenges what you believe and, and, and also how you believe it. There's a, there's a quote in there that he says. He says, actions must follow what you believe, otherwise you cannot claim to believe them. And I think that's, that's, a, that's a nice challenge for us, isn't it, yeah. to, uh, to start the day? <laughs> yeah, exactly right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's been the biggest impact on you in terms of like, this is obviously someone that you've read a lot on and admire and yep. story is quite compelling in and of itself, but yep. in terms of like your walk with Jesus... What what's something that really clings to your heart in that? Well, I think uh, sometimes we can get so caught up in information and you can get so caught up on knowledge and you get so caught up on, you know, all the things of theology. Mm. And I love reading, I love all that stuff. But at some point you have to come to the crossroads and as Bonhoeffer challenges us to go, you can't claim to believe these things if you're not willing to live them out. Mm. And he did. He could have gone to America and just gone cruisy life, been yeah, an true. academic and, and spoken against the war, you know, from the safety of the Atlantic. Yeah, but he doesn't. He 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 lives what he says, and he goes back, and there's many lives saved because of what he did, mm. and um and so his his actual actions did follow what he believed. His theology actually led his life rather than his feelings, his safety, and um and so yeah, that for me is is probably the the biggest thing that we as especially as modern Christians today we need to we need to jump on be reminded of constantly. Absolutely, absolutely. No, I turn your mic on. You are currently reading um, the cost of discipleship. The cost of discipleship with a bunch of young men in our church. What's something that has maybe challenged or stood out or, or clung to your heart? Yeah, I would agree with Luke. I think um, the testimony that Bonhoeffer presents, uh, you know, like what he has done, is in standing yeah. up for himself and the church and God in such a dark place, um, and then having that, you know him writing these things, it adds so much more weight to what he's saying. And, mm. and we found it incredibly um, humbling and challenging, particularly his writing on the Beatitudes that, yeah, that theology is not just, well, you know, when Christ says he's referring to this, but actually living that out. Mm. And, and we found that really challenging and helpful mm. in our walk um, with Christ. Yeah. In discipleship after him. So, yeah. Isn't it so good to just read of guys that, um, men and women who have walked with Jesus through all different times and places and spaces throughout the history of the church yeah. and go, man, we, we need to learn from these guys. We need to, we need to grow from uh, and consider their attitude, their pursuit mm. of Jesus. And, you know, it, even just reading that um, in Philippians 2, adopt the same attitude of that of Christ. Like, uh, you know, when Paul says, 
um, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. I, yeah. I think that's, you know, we can look back on these uh, people who have gone before us and go, we're, we're imitating them as they imitate Jesus. And, and I also think maybe just a challenge for all of us in considering our own lives, will we be able to confidently say that to our children? Mm. Imitate me as I imitate Jesus. Yeah. And now that's not saying that I've got it perfect in, in any sense, but no. I am pursuing a life that is conformed to the image of Christ and and yeah. and seeks to live entirely for him. Like can, can will we be able to confidently say that to our children and our grandchildren and mm, I know. Uh, that yeah, as a parent, that is something that's always in the forefront of my mind. Am I going to be mm. like the first to apologize? Am I going to be the first to confess sins? Am I going to be the first to to be that f- so that my children will feel comfortable to be able to follow me as I follow Christ? For sure, and and stand up for truth and and stand against potentially the crowd and, and just thinking of Bonhoeffer and mm. Mm. yeah, stand up for the value of life. Yeah, all people and all those sorts of things. So many implications of that, and I think all of those implications come back to our own knowledge of God. So as we close, I want to read to you uh, his poem that he wrote uh, in prison in Tegel, and uh, it's called Who Am I? Uh, I'd recommend you getting it. It's a, it's a bit of a long one, but stick with me because it, it's, it's really good. He says this, Who am I? They often tell me. I step from my cell's confinement, calmly, cheerfully, firmly, like a squire from his country house. Who am I? They often tell me. I used to speak... Uh, to my waters, freely and friendly and clearly, as though it were mine to command. Who am I? They also tell me. I bore the days of misfortune, equally, equably smiling proudly, like one accustomed to win. Am I then really that which other men tell me of, or am I only what I myself know of myself, restless and longing and sick like a bird in a cage, Struggling for breath as though hands are compressing, my throat yearning for colours, for flowers, for the voices of birds, thirsting for words of kindness and neighbourliness, tossing in expectation of great events, powerlessly trembling for friends at an infinite distance, weary and empty at prayer and thinking and making, faint and ready to say farewell to it all. Who am I? This or the other? Am I one person today and an- and tomorrow another? Am I both at once a hypocrite before others, or uh, sorry, and b- before myself a contemptible, woe-begone weakling, or is something within me like a beaten army fleeing in disorder from victory already achieved? Who am I? They mock me these lonely questions of mine. Who am I? Thou knowest, O God, I am thine.